Commonwealth Stories speaks to people from a host of nations, from Africa to Asia, from North America to the Caribbean. You'll hear the stories and thoughts of people from all walks of life, all with one thing in common. They have all found a home in Birmingham. So what does the Commonwealth mean to us now? How has it shaped the Birmingham we know today? And what lasting legacy do we hope the games coming to the city of Birmingham will leave? The Commonwealth Stories podcast is available on all your favourite platforms. To keep up to date with the series and hear the latest episodes, make sure to follow and subscribe. In this episode of Commonwealth Stories, we'll be taking a deep dive into how the Commonwealth has influenced art and culture, and how art has the power to initiate conversation and positive change. Art, music and culture have often played a major part in the opening and closing ceremonies of the Commonwealth Games. And there has been ongoing discussion around our commitment to showcasing the talent of artists and musicians from Commonwealth countries. We will be speaking to 2022 Commonwealth Games Queen's Baton designer and Midlands-based artist Laura Nahoye about the work behind the Baton project and how her Zimbabwean heritage influenced the design. How do we really go past all these barriers of history? What can we do as creative? What can I do in my space within that button as a creative? To say, hey, what do you see here? We'll also be talking to Louise Lansdowne, who was born and raised in South Africa. Louise is now head of strings at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire and discusses the need for change, better representation and diversity in music curriculums. And it feels like for so long, an education system, we just taught the white man's history, the white man's music, the white man's everything. You'll also hear from Maryam Wahid, a British-Pakistani photographer and artist, who tells us all about how her trip to Pakistan helped her to create an exhibition showcasing her family's history and how it helped her to better understand her own identity. We see some great South Asian girls, you know, breaking barriers today. Who were those women that came before them? This is Commonwealth Stories by Birmingham Live. Magadini zenyu, zitarangu, ndinonzilora nyahuye. Ndiri mwana wefu, ndinovaku Zimbabwe. Diri artist, my name is Laura Nyahuye, and I'm a mom to two girls. I am a creative visionary. I'm an artist. I'm founder of an organization that Maoko that works with minoritized groups, artists, migrant communities, and in all of that. My desire is to use art to build bridges, to challenge perceptions, and as a form of love and humanity. Art has the ability to heal and bring together a cross-section of people. This is something Laura Nahue has dedicated her artistry to. Born in Zimbabwe, but now based in Coventry, Laura's journey to the West Midlands has been filled with barriers but she's been able to overcome them through the power of art and storytelling. Laura is a mother, a multidisciplinary artist, storyteller, designer, writer, 
curator and performer, and the brilliant mind behind the design and curation of the baton used in the 2022 Queen's Baton Relay. The Baton Relay is an epic 294-day journey across the Commonwealth, with the Queen's Baton visiting all 72 nations and territories around the globe before finishing its journey in Birmingham. As an artist who aims to create a kinder world, Laura dedicated the design of the baton to empowering women and black women. Birmingham Live's Ida Fafana joined Laura via a remote call, where she found out all about the baton's design and what it represents. What social issues and perceptions do you aim to challenge through your artwork? Within the art sector, we don't see a lot of us, um, my black uh, creatives, uh, we don't see like minoritized groups, you know, like the the marginalized groups. We don't see a lot of humans from migrant backgrounds. My work is to it celebrates women quite quite a lot. So this is very much again rooted to my own personal experience. It's not necessarily only about the migrant story, but it's what happened and what continues to happen in my space as a woman. And then comes the story of being a black woman. And then comes the story of being a mother. And then comes the story of being a single woman. And then comes the story of navigating a space where you have a family on the other side of the world being a sister, being a daughter, and loss, loss of parents whilst you are on the other side of the world. So there's a lot that I believe comes in in my work. So I could be talking about the woman. I could be talking about the migrant. I could be talking about the young artist who is aspiring to, to impact the world, to be someone. But my work is constantly acknowledging and saying, hey, we have so many layers that we are dealing with here. So when you see me and I see you, that's not just it. This is not just about the Black story. It's not just about the migrant story. It's not just about the woman. Though, yes, I do highlight specific things, but it comes again as a is a package because there's a lot in there, but it is about humanity. It is about us being humans because after all is said and done, when I cut this black skin, when you cut the white skin, whatever skin we are color, we are talking about, it's red blood that comes out of it. So what do we do as humans in order for us to see past all these layers that seem to be the most dominant. Whereas, actually, all we need is love. So would you say that was one of your inspirations for the Commonwealth Games Baton? Yes, yeah. It's really about going beyond the baton itself being a product, a just a but it's about telling stories and really reaching to each other beyond the story of the Commonwealth, which 
comes with each, its own negative negativity. But what is beyond that? Because we are going out into these commonwealth countries where there are so many people to celebrate. There are so many women that we can celebrate, young people, change makers who are doing amazing work. But it's coming from here. We are, we are talking about the queen's button. Who is the queen? For me, I see the queen as she's a mom. She's a mother to someone. She is a grandma to someone. So how do we really go past all these barriers of history that has created a lot of walls? What can we do as creative? What can I do in my space within that button as a creative to say, hey, what do you see here? How do we celebrate humanity within that? How do we celebrate us as women who are thermostats, who are heartbeats within communities, who are really pushing our children, our the next generation after the next generation in order for them to become who they desire to be. The, the baton is quite, um, it's quite interesting because it's quite like, um, it spoke of a lot of things, but you can't fit everything on paper or on social media, but it represented a lot of layers and layers, but in the heartbeat of it, it's again, it's a testimony of love, radical love that is aiming to break down the barriers that label us, the barriers of history that really destroys us as humans. How do we reach out? How do I, as an artist, do my little bit in order to bring out a message that is acknowledging the truth, but at the same time, it's saying, hey, let's look beyond. You mentioned that there are barriers of history that are keeping many people away from engaging with things like the Commonwealth. Can you give me an example of some barriers of history you believe are keeping masses of people away and and how you're trying to challenge those barriers as an artist um it's 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 a topic that i quite like um i don't tend to talk about in too much detail i believe that it's about acknowledging that this history exists it starts with acknowledging first that there's really uncomfortable stories here that are attached to colony, that are attached to, to slavery, that are attached to right now. It's, it's, it's people's reality right now today, right? So for me as an artist, I always say I'm not a political artist. I'm a humanitarian artist. I'm looking for humanity I acknowledge that there is history. I acknowledge that there are barriers, but my job is to do something about calling out to the innermost of the innermost that's inside of us as humans. If we do that and we just dig deep and we see each other for what we are as humans, for me, that's enough. I've done what I came to do. 
So never mind the 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 history of actually sitting down and really bashing that historical. I'll I'll leave that for others. But I'll do my bit in the creative world. About the the design of the button, the curved nature of the lines where a like a nod to your craft and your signature signature way of creating art. You've also incorporated the inspiration of sea life and real issues affecting migrant communities. Why was it important that you included that in the design? It's it was quite important for me to include this the design, especially about the shapes, celebrating, especially on celebrating woman. Because as a woman myself and interacting with other women and the the challenges that women face across countries. What is it about a woman that is constantly under so much navigation or under so much tension, under so much pressure, right? So there are all these things that are constantly playing out. It was my duty to celebrate woman. It is the queen's pattern. She's a mom. She's a grandma. I see it as such. How do we see the global community of women in that way? They are queens. They are princesses. How do we celebrate each other? There are communities in these Commonwealth countries, let's say, for instance, in my country where I come from, of course, we are not the Commonwealth in the Commonwealth anymore, but in Zimbabwe, we have villages. And this is this goes across in Malawi, in Zambia, in all these spaces, right? We have villages where we have a, a grandma or an auntie who has over generation been the midwife, right? But not the midwife who's been trained to be the midwife, who's dead, but they are the midwife of the village. They are known to be the midwife of the village. And then we have another who is maybe the counsellor, the one that everyone is running to. If they're going through domestic abuse, if they're going through some sort of, they are running to that. And those are the same specific women who are raising a generation of change makers, a generation of champions. But within their own spaces, they're dealing with a lot of other things. That is this, my little space of celebrating those, those women. That button, whatever is in there, and the materials that I, I I use and chose to do with, like, you know, with copper, non-precious material, because it's not all of us in the who identify with precious material. What material, how do we use a material whereby when somebody holds that, they will feel connected. They'll feel like, oh, yeah, identify with this. And something that by the time it comes back, what is it going to look like? Because it will look bashed and battered. And it, it that's okay because that is the story in it. Because it's been through different hands. It's got the marks of so many stories, so many humans that is collected 
along the way. It's got fingerprints. It's got scratches. It's changed color. So it's telling the story of what it's been through. And that was quite important for me. Laura says in order to heal from the atrocities inflicted by the British Empire, we must come together and recognise that it's only when we stand in solidarity that change can begin to happen. In terms of the Commonwealth, I know you said that you are not a, a political artist, but more so a humanitarian artist. But do you still, do you believe that we still need a Commonwealth? Is it relevant or does it have any importance within Commonwealth communities in the West Midlands today? When I was growing up, I think it, I feel like it goes back to my childhood. Because when I was growing up, I I grew up in a, in a family where we don't really um, do things to do with that are political. So I think it just followed me through up to now. So as I, of course, now, like I'm a mom, I'm a mature woman, and I've grown to have like really strong decisions. So to actually pinpoint, I feel like it's got something to do with that. I think it's just tiring. I would rather um, look look for humanity. I would rather look for love because when i think of political things it's like there's there's so much right there's so much that i can go back to even to africa and i look at even our political situation back home right now you see in our own space right and the decisions that we make that i find quite uncomfortable to, to point fingers at all sorts of different people in different worlds. Because even within communities here in this country, within the black communities, right? There's lack of unity. And then there's racism. All these political things now that come like, you know, the Commonwealth, uh, the slave slavery, which is true, it happened and it's still affecting us now, right? But again, for me, my stance in that is it's tiring. It's exhausting. It's just one of those things that is so exhausting. So I look for humanity. I look for love. Louise Lansdowne is head of strings at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. Born and raised in South Africa, Louise has lectured in the UK since the early 2000s and has passed viola students working in orchestras, chamber music groups and in teaching positions around the world. In 2015, Louise founded a major outreach and education project called ARCO, which enables RBC students to work online via video conferencing software to students at the Morris Isaacson Centre for Music in Soweto, South Africa. ARCO provides regular distance learning opportunities for children in South Africa who for multiple reasons do not have access to the same level of musical education as students in the UK. ARCO now operates in South Africa and has since expanded to India. The lack of diversity within the music curriculum is something Louise has spoken out about and something she describes as a crime against musical humanity. 
Louise sat down with Anissa Vaster at Birmingham City University to discuss her thoughts around the Commonwealth and the music curriculum. What does it mean to decolonise, especially the music scene, what does that mean, you know, decolonising the curriculum? In terms of the Commonwealth situation, I'm, I'm South African originally from Cape Town. Always learnt and studied music because I am a classical musician, so it seems logical to learn Best is West. Everything's based around Western art music, Western art music history, Western art music everything, Western art music composers, male, white composers from Europe. And actually, somehow some crime against musical humanity has has been committed. And actually, two-thirds of the music history that included the most unbelievable composers that were actually women, some of them, but incredible composers, performers, um, instrument makers from many other countries around the world have basically been left out of history. And actually, we are continuing to commit that crime unless we change the curriculum and decolonize it, that, that word, so to speak. If we continue to ignore that, we're actually teaching future generations that that didn't exist, that those people didn't exist, and that history didn't exist. As a South African, I feel even more embroiled in that crime because actually we have such a horrific history with apartheid and so little to be proud of in how we've treated people. And it feels like for so long, an education system in South Africa in particular, and now I can feel it still in the UK, actually, we just taught the white man's history, the white man's music, the white man's everything. And we still continue to do that even after apartheid ended in South Africa. And I mean, South Africa has been at the forefront of trying to change that, rightfully so. And I know with the roads must fall protests where South African students took to the streets and protested against, you know, what they were being taught, how they were being taught. I think that's been a very, very significant change. I know that there are a huge number of people actually at BCU who are very, very, very um, involved, wonderful writers who have written incredible books and and articles on decolonizing the curriculum. So I, I really feel that BCU is up there in trying to be part of the world that is actually changing that. Personally, my tiny little contribution to trying to do that is also one that is a little fraught. I run uh, two projects, major projects, one in South Africa and one in India, so both are Commonwealth countries. And um, our Royal Birmingham Conservatoire undergraduate and postgraduate students teach online as students in South Africa and in Chennai, in India, the, the Sunshine Orchestra. Now, this is tricky too, because we're teaching these students classical instruments, so violin, viola, cello, double bass. Um, and now we've expanded to brass. So we teach trumpet and some saxophone and also woodwind. We have some vocal students teaching. But basically, we are teaching a Western art form on Western instruments. But we are teaching people who do not come from that tradition at all. So it's a major, major question of what the content of what we teach, how we make it culturally relevant and appropriate to the people that we're teaching, but still teach them the skills of playing the instrument, which is thus far a Western tradition, but one that anyone can love and do. So it is a really, really tricky question. Uh, It's something that we grapple with. 
Our Indian students are basically fantastic Bollywood musicians. They play for um, A.R. Rahman's Bollywood movies. He and his team the, at the Rahman Foundation have trained them, but they equally love playing uh, Western music. And with the South African students, although they they are they love playing violin, viola, cello, double bass, actually the music that we teach them, you know, an Irish jig, for example, if you're learning an instrument or a German minuet, well, it's basically got no relevance to anyone <laughs> at the age of eight or nine who lives in Soweto in South Africa. It is a real challenge to find published music by black composers. It's a real challenge to find teaching materials. So actually, we, we have to commission music and have music written specially by South Africans, particularly to teach our students. How can we change from that? How can we celebrate you know, musical talents from the Commonwealth countries? How can you bring that forward? I don't think we can do that all at once. I, I think it's, it's something that we have an awakening now. We have an international awareness that, you know, we, can, we need to celebrate everybody and we need to celebrate everybody much more equally, equally and we need to educate much, much more equally. I can only speak from my, my own experience and that is listening to people, looking around you, having an awareness of, of cultural differences and, and actually really knowing that you can learn a huge amount from other people. So, you know, it's been our sort of, Arco experience uh, in South Africa and India is actually, we might be acting as, as teachers in some ways, but actually we are learning probably more from the students who we're teaching than they're learning from us about their culture, their language, their society, their traditions, the way they speak. And it is really it's amazing appreciating other people's languages. I mean, South Africa has 11 official languages. So none of the kids that we teach actually have English as their first language. And many of our international students who are the student teachers also do not have English as their, their, their first language. It is a huge challenge. And it is clear that the British Empire had a massive impact on South Africa and, and India. But, it, you know, my knowledge is deeper of South Africa. And it's clear right from the architecture, the way the street signs are <laughs> with the way they look, it's clear from the textbooks that we had at school. It's clear from the way Parliament was run. It's clear from so many angles that the British Empire has had a ginormous impact. And I think to imagine now that the ANC is in power and apartheid does not exist anymore, at least not visibly, you know, now that that doesn't exist, actually, there is so much to change. And as much as one would like to just rip the heart out of it and just start all over again, humanity doesn't seem to be able to do that very quickly or very easily. I feel like South Africa is being very proactive and I feel like the UK perhaps is perhaps not quite. I think one thing I wanted to say is that obviously the Commonwealth Games are coming up. Are we doing enough beforehand to because obviously here's a chance to celebrate the the musical talents of these different kind of Commonwealth mm -hmm. countries and as, as well as their sports, obviously, because I think the way that it's um, being promoted as well, it's very much a, a cultural sort of event that will that will be in Birmingham's history for, for years to come. Do you feel like 
there is enough being done to, to kind of put forward these these sort of these musical talents or celebrating the cultures of the, the Commonwealth countries. I know, for example, that the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra is, I think, opening, playing at the opening of the Commonwealth Games, and that's absolutely wonderful. I'm hoping they've got some extremely varied music on their programme for that. There are a lot of South Africans who live in Birmingham, and there's a wonderful Indian community too. It's huge here and such a diverse place. I'm hoping that not only the cultural music, you know, cultural sort of spectrum of Birmingham itself can be displayed, but also the incredibly rich tradition of those countries in the Commonwealth. I would love that personally. If you could say of the future, you know, what, what it means in the future, is there, is there a future for the Commonwealth? The politically, politically correct thing would be, no, actually, I'm not going to be politically correct. No, I don't think there's a massive future for, for the Commonwealth. I, I think these countries were invaded, basically, and Indigenous people were not treated well. So I, I don't feel that some part of the moral um, history of the Commonwealth should be celebrated, supposedly what made Britain great. But, but equally, there is a richness of experience that, that is history now, and it's awful in some ways, but beautiful in other ways. Not that I'm any, anything good to go by, but I definitely wouldn't be in this cu- country or I wouldn't have been born. My, <laughs> my parents are as a result of the Commonwealth. You know, they were in South Africa. Yeah, it's situational, isn't it? So you can't say it's all bad because amazing things come from like mixing communities, but history is pretty ugly and humanity has done very, very ugly and awful things. Maryam Wahid is an artist and photographer from Moseley, Birmingham, who uses photography to convey her identity as a British Pakistani Muslim woman. Her photographs explore womanhood, migration, and the notion of home and belonging. Maryam and her mother embarked on a trip to their home country, Pakistan, in 2019. It was her first trip there and her mother's first visit in 20 years. Maryam's current work, Zebanissa, is being premiered at the Midlands Arts Centre. The photos featured in the gallery space tell the story of Maryam and her mother's journey together. As her mother reconnected with old friends and family, whilst Maryam reimagined her life, should she have lived there instead of the UK. The project's title translates to Beauty of Women, Wahid's mother's birth name prior to emigrating from Pakistan to the UK in 1982. The project traces her footsteps through Lahore in Pakistan, exploring loss, memory, displacement and identity. Maryam's photographs capture the experiences of South Asian women, something she feels is not often shown within the art world. Anissa Vasta joins Maryam on a remote video call. She tells us all about her latest work and experiences growing up in Birmingham. She also discusses the importance of a female South Asian presence within the arts. What was it like growing up for you as a Muslim Pakistani woman? You know, what was, what was that experience like in Birmingham? My experience growing up in Birmingham was, was wonderful, really. I mean, I feel that the community here is incredibly diverse, but also quite equally balancing um, my own community. So the British kind of Pakistani, British Muslim community is quite 
present here, which makes, uh, you know, which, which made my life growing up here quite nice. And I, I always felt that there was, I always belonged here. And there was basically, this was home, you know, because there was my community around me. I went to Muslim faith primary school. So I feel like that really helped me really understand and learn about my own religion independently as well. Like, you know, was able to really understand what it meant to be a Muslim. You know, what were the things that defined us as Muslims, the characters and the practices of being a Muslim. So that really kind of formed me at a young age. And then, yeah, growing up, going to a very diverse secondary school, a diverse sixth form college as well. Going on to uni where, you know, it wasn't so diverse, but, you know, it was, was, was still an experience. And I found that actually that's really shaped who I am today. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a big part of my identity. And that's why I do what I do. I want to celebrate my identity in the arts. Because when I kind of looked at the wider picture and the bigger picture, I found that actually the representation of British Muslim and British South Asian women in the mass media... And in arts and photography, it's actually very underrepresented, if not represent, it's not even represented in some situations. So I really wanted to make that my focal point in my art, basically. I think that's an important part of your exhibition, which is called Zaybunissa. If you could talk about what that means, what does the word Zaybunissa mean, but also about the exhibition itself. So Zeba Nissa was my mother's name before she migrated to the UK. My mum basically came to the UK in 1982 from Lahore, which is in Pakistan. Um, and she lived all her life basically after um, she migrated here. This was, you know, she, she called, so she basically called Birmingham her home. So I was born in 1995 and um, growing up, I would basically feel really connected to my family album. It was, it was my place to go to learn about my own history, you know. Um, and I mentioned this in interviews before where I, I, it's true, I love history. I loved learning about history in school. But UK history never resonated with me. We never discussed about migration. We never discussed or, or were taught about the mass migration of, of people from South Asia. So for me, my family album was really a place where I could explore what it actually meant to be British Asian and, you know, who, who were, you know, what was my family story? Why did they come here? Why did they, why did they migrate from Pakistan? What was Pakistan? A lot of the, the answers to those questions were in my family album. So I would use the family album to really understand all of those things. And one of those things that I was, you know, always on, was always on my mind was disco- like learning about Pakistan. So I, I had not been to the place my mom and dad were born. So I'd not been to Lahore at all in my life, basically. And I got to travel in 2019 to Lahore for the first time. And Zeb Nissa is really a project that I developed and created out in Pakistan. But it is a series of pictures which really collect the memories and the stories that have been told to me as as a child, basically. But also, I've explored my mother's life there and what it was like for her to leave her family behind, to leave her parents home and and look at kind of her friends and life there and just take a trip down my mum's memory lane as well because that's my connection to Pakistan. But then also balancing out that project, I've looked at my own identity and looked at what my life could have looked like if my mum didn't migrate to the UK and, you know, how I would look like if I was born and raised in Pakistan um, as a woman. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of kind of layers 
to the project. But ultimately, it's the layers that make up a lot of British Asians, I think, and a lot of things that resonate with our history and our stories as, as second generational or third generational British Asians. Um, for most of us, our connection with our motherlands is through our parents or one parent. And for me, it was, you know, even though both my parents were born in Pakistan. Uh, my main connection with Pakistan is my mother who was who lived there till she was 18 um, and has more memories there, basically. What's the importance of having having a, a South Asian female voice within the arts? It's very, very important. I, I always think this when I'm creating work and when I see other people's work as well, because, um, you know, my education studying photography at university, I... I found so many great examples and inspirations looking at diaspora, looking at migration, looking at identity. The more I looked into these artists, the more I resonated with the female voices. And, and I felt that the female voices were more intimate and, and the stories were more relatable and universal. My connection with my motherland and with looking at kind of identity and diaspora is through my mum, who where it all started, you don't. And through my grandmother, probably, who has passed down certain things, to learn directly from my mother and also go back to Pakistan with my mother to really embark on this journey and understand what all these things mean to me, you know, what what that place means to me, what the people there mean to me, what my family mean there to me, what even my grandparents who are resting there, what that all means to me. I feel it's a lot more intimate and personal when I learn from my mother and when I learn from women in my family. But also in terms of representation, it's it's very, very key because in history, many women's stories haven't been heard, haven't been recorded. And I was, that was my fear, I think, when I was basically creating uh, one of my projects called Women from the Pakistani Diaspora in England. So that, that particular project looks at uh, my mother's identity when she came to the UK and people like my grandmother, my aunts, and, and, and who still carry the kind of traditional Pakistani or Asian identity but actually have raised and, and transformed the female identity for Pakistani women here in the UK. Um, you know, they've raised women who are career women and who are basically doing everything that they couldn't do, you know, as, as young migrant women in the UK. Um, so it's really a story about shining light on them. And and, and uh, yeah, so for, for me, I mean, my fear was when, when I was creating that project was that these stories you know, these women, they've lived and they've done so much. They've sacrificed so much. Some are passing away. So some grandmas are passing away. And nothing in history is recorded of these women. And they're so significant to us in the UK. You know, we see some great South Asian girls, you know, breaking barriers today. But, you know, who were those women that came before them? Um, you know, they, they were women that came from remote villages and from, you know, really faraway lands where education probably wasn't so great, you know, you know, and, and where they didn't have that much opportunity to progress in their careers um, and where they really had to just sacrifice their life really and, and do what they need to do to integrate and live in the UK. So that was my fear, really, that those stories, they would just, we we would just know of them in our, in, in our own kind of families, but we wouldn't actually have them recorded. And that's where I felt like it's so key to record this story and to basically frame myself and and pay tribute to women like this. Um, so I use my mother's identity mainly to to reflect that. If you could say like one photograph that that you like the most, what would it be? Um, so there's a picture of me looking up at my grandma. Um, is a, a portrait of her on the wall, and I have that projected quite large in the gallery space. That particular 
image really sums up my my whole feelings for Pakistan. Basically, I'm going to Pakistan for the first time. So when I initially got there, I remember arriving at arrivals and just seeing thousands of people at arrivals, like hundreds of people at arrivals. And you wouldn't find that in the UK because people only come with, you know, they just the person picking up the person will come. But in Pakistan, like a lot of family and people will arrive. And I remember walking out and the sun usually faces, if you get to Lahore airport, the sun actually faces at you. So you, you know, I just saw silhouette of diff- different head shapes and faces. And for me, as soon as I kind of got out of the airport, I just felt really overwhelmed and emotional. And for some weird reason, I almost felt like my late grandparents were in that crowd of people. So I never got to meet my mom's parents. Um, you know, I've only kind of heard them in stories and through I've seen them in pictures. But for some weird reason, I felt like they were in that crowd waiting for me. And um, I, I kind of was looking and locating my mom and my my mom's brother who lives there. And um, I saw him immediately. And, and that's when I really saw my, I, I imagined as if I was seeing my granddad there. And, you know, he came out to hug me. And I remember hugging him and I just didn't want to let him go. And he just kind of hugged me and wanted to get off because, you know, I'm a grown grown girl now. And he, he obviously has met me for the first time as well. So it was um, it was awkward for him. But for me, it was like, it was like meeting my grandparents or meeting someone that I had just longed and yearned to meet for years yeah, it was it was really kind of a um, a emotional journey for me deep down because I could see bits of them in places, um, and I could always I I would always imagine like what my life would be like if I had my grandparents around in my life, um, and if I had them present in in the decisions that go on today in my current you know with my parents with my parents, so um, that picture I took that because. Um, that particular room as well, where that picture hangs of my grandmother. Again, I would feel her presence there. And it was a very kind of emotional and spiritual connection that I had when I would feel their presence. And that was mainly because I just never felt that presence here in the UK. You know, I never felt that they were here with me. Um, for me, they lived with me because they there was pictures of them. You know, there was photographs of them that were so powerful and that just made me feel like they're still with me and they're here and present. But actually, the reality was that I was just living with the pictures, you know, I was living with these illusions when really where they rest and where their life was, was in Pakistan. And that's where I felt like more, I felt more dimensions come true to me than the photograph, you know, alone. When it comes to the Commonwealth and what it means to us today, views can often differ between generations, depending on their lived experiences and education. Maryam shares with Anissa her views on the Commonwealth and working within the arts as a millennial British Asian. She also compares her grandparents' and parents' views, experiences and relationships with the Commonwealth and Pakistan. For me, I feel like it's really important to understand what's happened historically and what's passed the information that's been passed down to us needs to be recorded and, and told to us accurately, really, um, and I think that's the only way we can really move forward with the Commonwealth Games in a in a healthy relationship. And just just having a more understanding is 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 important. Do you feel like it holds the same value to you as you know, for example, it may to your mother or you know your grandparents? I think definitely for my grandparents and parents, like they were really proud to 
you know, be associated with with the UK and and you know that um with me, I mean, I I've I'm a lot more aware and I've I've taught myself a lot more about the Commonwealth Games and just in general about you know colonization and the British Raj and you know we we're taught the history we can we have the opportunity to learn about that history um because we have the internet we have the we have access to certain things but certainly for my parents you know for them it was a fresh start and they were able to come to the UK and 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 just start a new life and and live a live a, a you know very gratefully um but in reality was you know they were displaced from the very start you know that they initially my great grand my grandparents they lived in Amritsar in India and they had to literally flee from India towards Pakistan by foot um and and get to Lahore so you know my my direct relationship with South Asia um is very strong and very prominent because i ha- you know i i believe that that is literally where my you know my motherland is you know i don't see it as just pakistan i see it as one big kind of continent that's where you know because i have grandparents that resonate that you know res- resided there once and in terms of like the uk i mean i've been brought up and raised here so i i feel it's equally important for me to really celebrate my british identity and to really just understand that my life could have been a lot different if i was in if i was in south asia but also ultimately life would have been incredibly different if we hadn't been colonized so that you know it's all it's all a very big loop and we can all go back and back um but yeah in terms of this like i feel that my uh, my relationship with pakistan uh you know it is a lot more defined now since my visit and i feel that i am just as pakistani as i am british embracing both identities like that's what i think that's what i feel is really should be part of us it should be our identity like it should be just normal for us to be asian and british and there shouldn't be a need to be one thing or another um we should be able to celebrate both those things and you know people should be aware that you know you can be british and you can have a slight you know um accent to your to your english because i find that as well like i find that my english isn't as perfect because i speak urdu i speak punjabi my i speak different languages you know so and i i watch films and i watch things in different languages sometimes so it's just quite natural when you have these other factors and i think that should be normalized so you're not made to feel like you don't speak english properly or you don't speak the right terms or the right you know words you know you don't say the right words so My final question is um what do you think the future of the commonwealth is I do feel already from even friends and and people around me that actually it's something that people are already kind of questioning for me as a as a british asian when i have been part of projects any project because i i feel like when you are someone of color and you are given the opportunity firstly to get to that opportunity is incredibly difficult because you're proving yourself constantly to people that you are worthy you are you know you're going to get you're going to basically be worth investing in which is a shame really but i feel that quite strongly that actually i'm working 10 times harder than how maybe a white old man might be working you know but actually um when i'm given that platform i try and make sure that my community is represented and my views are also quite transparent in this in this country i've found that you can't you know obviously really the people that are making the decisions are people that are above you in the hierarchy and just you know the people that have more of a say in the overall project but 
certainly by you making your influence and getting your opinions um, out there in a very humble manner, in a very sensible, professional manner, I think is one way to really tackle some issues. Um, so one of the things that I always talk about, and I, I find it's very key for people, you know, up there in the hierarchy to understand is, um, you know, we need diversity from the top till the bottom, you know, it's not just about you hiring people below you to create that diversity and, and get those opinions um, you know, just being spoken about, you know, amongst your kind of employees. It needs to be from the more kind of senior roles. And um, in very small ways, you know, we can we can project our thoughts. Like for me, it's very important that, um, you know, the history of Commonwealth Games, that's all being taught in projects or, or to people. I, even as a foundation level thing, it doesn't have to be the main kind of, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, all about that. But I'm saying there should be, that out clearly in the open. So um, it, it's really just making those small impacts and changes because, you know, realistically, we aren't the ones that are, so as in like people who are down in the hierarchy, we're not the ones that are going to make those changes and really, really, you know, shake, you know, move mountains. We won't, but we can certainly add small drops around us and really try to influence certain things um, that can be projected to the more more senior roles of people that are managing projects so that they are aware of the issues and they're aware of the complexities that can be caused. We've covered a lot of talking points and topics during this episode, but it's clear that Maryam, Louise and Laura, despite having three completely different backgrounds, all share a common goal in their work in the arts. And that is to encourage inclusiveness, acceptance and togetherness between nations, communities and individuals. As the Queen's baton makes its way to Birmingham, and people from across the globe gather in the city this summer, this notion is something we will hopefully see, along with art, music and culture of all heritages being celebrated. Commonwealth Stories is a laudable production, brought to you by Birmingham Live. The Commonwealth Stories podcast is available on all your favourite platforms. To keep up to date with the series and hear the latest episodes, make sure to follow and subscribe. To find out more about the upcoming Commonwealth Games and to discover more about the guests who are featured on this episode, make sure to head over to the Birmingham Live website. This is Commonwealth Stories by Birmingham Live. Birmingham Live.